Hi, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> it's cool. It's a privilege. It's, it's an honor. Um, I got to stand in the same spot when I was confirmed in high school in this church. Um, got to stand in the same spot when I married my wife. Um, I get to stand here and speak to you as a pastor now. Pretty exciting. Um, I think it's important always to take inventory of ourselves on a semi-regular basis, to look inward and to go through our heart, to remember our true identity, to remember whose I am, right? To look at my life and say, why do I do the things that I do and who do I do them for? And we're doing that as a church right now. We're in a sermon series called Shine. Uh, if you go out into the narthex and you look up on the wall, uh, our church motto is to shine, and that's an acronym. And I'm gonna I'm gonna simplify it here. Shine is to share Jesus, to heighten the worship of Jesus, to invite people to Jesus, to nurture young people to Jesus, and to excel at loving Jesus by loving the people that He loved. Amen. And we're going through this sermon series to take inventory of our heart as a faith community, to remind ourselves of who we are, to affirm what God is doing. Amen? And so um, one of the, the great truths of my life, it's, it's, it's going to be with me forever, um, is that what God does in me, He wants to do through me. Will you say that with me? What God does in me, He wants to do through me. Say it again. What God does in me, He wants to do through me. That was good. Um, one of the ways that I know this to be true is, is the Scripture reading for today is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Um, it says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I, I'm kind of like a nerd with words. I like words. I, like, uh, I speak a little bit of Spanish from us living in Costa Rica. And, but I like words, and I like breaking down words. I like using words. Sometimes I use words so that I sound more photosynthesis. You know what I mean? <laughs> Try to use big words to sound more photosynthesis. Um, so I was breaking, so I was looking at the words in 2 Timothy 2.2, and there's this really cool app. You guys have apps? You guys use apps on your phone? Alright, for the three of us that have smartphones. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so there's an app called Blue Letter Bible. It is incredible. It's an incredible free resource that people have put out there for people that don't speak Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic to learn words from scripture and so um i i went to the blue letter bible app and i and i started reading this verse and you can put it like next and next with different translations and, and i'm going through here and you know i click on it and i'm going through the greek words and trying to figure and i, I noticed something that was pretty cool um the the word that it says to entrust you to then go and teach others also that word, um, to teach others also, or to entrust to you teach others also, that word is, I'm just going to say it confidently, because y'all aren't going to know if I say it wrong. Um, paratithemi. Um, 
And it means, and, and it has like two different definitions to it, um, but it means to place in front of or beside or to give to someone food at a table. The other definition is to put down as like a deposit um, or to take something and give it away into someone else's charge. Paratithemi. Um, I believe confidently that what God does in me, he wants to do through me. And so one of the things that I've been entrusted with is a son. His name's Forrest. Uh, we got a picture of Forrest. Um, this was us this past week on Wednesday. Uh, the youth, we did a swim, swim night, swim evening at Mount Wesley at Light on the Hill. Um, big pizza party, swimming, music. And so we caught this picture of him. Um, he's wild. He's everything a two and a half year old boy is. Um, sucks the energy right out of you. I'm tired just looking at it. No, it, we love it. He's awesome. Um, we've, you know, in being a parent, uh, you guys, I'm so excited for y'all to go through this. Um, on one hand, I really want to give my son to a babysitter. But on the other hand, it's really, really difficult for me to paratithemi my son to someone else. Especially when it's like, we don't think you're old enough to rent a car, but watch my kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we don't think you can vote yet. Take my son's life into your hands. <laughs> it's difficult. I struggle with it a little bit. And so um, uh, my wife and I, we have very high standards when it comes to babysitters. We, um, uh, if you remember uh, a couple years ago, Janelli, she's graduated from college. We celebrated her in the spring um, that she'd graduated from Shriner. She lives in San Antonio now. Um, Janelli hung out at our house all the time. We couldn't get rid of her. And, um, and she... Uh, she got to babysit Forrest for the first time, and it was nerve-wracking. It was the shortest date Kendra and I ever went on. Um, but we had to vet her pretty heavily. Um, so hanging up on our fridge is her... <laughs> I don't know why it's on her fridge. <laughs> she gave it to us, so we put it on the fridge. Her recognition of excellence from Mo Ranch and her letter from Shriner University that she'd made the president's list for her grades. And we were like, all right, you now qualify for an interview to be possibly considered for a babysitter. <laughs> it was difficult. Trust is a big deal. And trusting something valuable to someone is difficult. It's hard. It's vulnerable. Um, and we know this because we've all been on both sides of that coin. We've been on the side of trusting something, and it gets messed up, and our trust gets broken. And then we've also been on the side of it where we've broken someone's trust. Um, when I was like 18 or 19, someone asked me to house sit for them and to water their plants. And I, in, a, in, the, in the most glorious 18-year-old ADHD way, blew it. And, uh, and I, I, I like, that runs in my mind of that time that I broke trust by doing a poor job watering their plants and house sitting. We've all been on both sides of that spectrum of having our trust broken and then breaking someone else's trust. Um, the word paratithemi, to entrust, um, that's the word in today's scripture. And, and on that app, on the Blue Letter Bible app, I was looking through it, and it has that 
same Greek word, and it says where it's used in other places in Scripture. And in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, he says, bring me all the food you have. Bring me the bread and the fish. And he, they ha- he has the few loaves and the few fish here. And he multiplies it and he begins giving it to his disciples to, th- to then go give to the thousands. He takes the bread and the fish, he multiplies it, and then he paratithemes it to his disciples to then go give to the people. Um, what if the disciples just kept it? <laughs> be awkward. <laughs> Jesus is like, here's this food, go give it to people. And the disciples turn around and they're like, Peter, imagine how much food we're going to eat now. And Peter's like, I know, I can't wait to make a fool of myself. And they're going to write it down in the Bible. They're going to talk about it. No, so like, imagine if the disciples would have just kept the food. That would have been a travesty, right? There'd be all these people that would have been hungry. And it, here, it would have been a travesty because people would have gone hungry. It would have been a travesty because the food would have spoiled. There's no way Peter and his friends could eat all that much food. And also, the disciples would have missed out on the blessing of being able to bless someone. If you... um. Beth Palmer is our outreach coordinator, and she she runs Mustard Seed Ministry over at Light on the Hill. Um, Beth, with a host of servants, um, each month, give out over 50,000 pounds of food each month. That's wild, huh? Um, if you work with Mustard Seed Ministry, if you volunteer, can you, can you raise your hand? So look at, the, remember one of these people that raised their hand, and if you want to confront them later, do it. Sorry, guys, you volunteered. Um, is, but, uh, there is blessing in the people receiving food, but there's blessing also for the servant that's giving the food. In the exchange of paratithemy, both people are blessed. And so the mustard seed, it's crazy. You go volunteer. Make time for it. Um, a big 18-wheeler pulls into the parking lot. A guy named Mark gets on a forklift, unloads it all. And they hand food out for hours and hours, and people keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary to be in the car to receive food, and it's extraordinary to be the one putting food into a car. And it would be a travesty if Beth just decided that she was just going to keep all the food one time. It would be a travesty, one, because she doesn't have that many deep freezers. Um, it, would all, it, it would all go to waste. Uh, and then people wouldn't get food, and then also people would be deprived of the blessing of being able to bless someone. Um, I believe confidently that what God does in me, He wants to do through me. When I, when Kendra and I got married, and, and you start like you combine accounts and you start, you know, all the money stuff, and I had this you know, cookie jar of money in my account. She was like, what's that for? And I was like, hands off. She's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? I said, this is my kayak fund. I'm, I've been saving for over eight years. And so I got into kayak fishing. I love to fish. I love to go down to the coast and catch redfish and spend all day out on the water. And um, 
all my friends had these fancy kayaks that go fast and you can you know do all the things, all the bells and whistles. And I had like, like you know what I mean? You could carry it in one hand. That was the only plus. Um, little bitty thing. And, and my friends would be, and I remember um, I had Kendra on the phone, on speakerphone in my pocket as I'm paddling. And they all have the fancy ones with the pedals. You just pedal and you go hands free and you go real fast. And I was like, I've got to start saving more for the kayak. And so after, after eight plus years, I was finally able to get my kayak. And, um, it's great. It's, a, it's, it truly is a Cadillac of kayak. Um, she's stable. She's strong. She's fast. She's reliable. She looks good, you know. Um, me and my buddy Brian went down to the coast to go fishing and we, we went, fished all day. Then we go to the campsite, we camp and we're going to wake up in the morning and go fishing. And, but I'm looking at the weather and it looks kind of sketchy, borderline dangerous. So like, I'm like, all right, well, we're, we'll camp. And in the morning, we'll just see what's, what it looks like. Cause you know, sometimes those, now that I got a kid, I wake up early and you know, those, those early mornings and it's real still outside. I love that. I thought maybe if we hit a pocket of stillness in the early morning, we'll go fishing. But we're going to stay close because as soon as the wind kicks up, we're, we're going to come back in. So we're unloading. And Brian has a nice kayak. It's not as nice as mine. You know what I'm saying? But it's nice. And so we're unloading the kayaks. And as we're unloading our kayaks, we look over and these other two guys, there's a father and a son unloading their kayaks. And they're the kayaks that you, hand, you go with one hand. You know, it's the cheapy can flip over. And I'm, I was kind of like, hey, guys, like, where are y'all from? And they said they were locals. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess they know what they're doing. All right, well, have fun. Okay. And so we kind of stick close by, and they just disappear out on the water. Well, sure enough, about 45 minutes, an hour later, the wind kicked up. And we said, all right, we did our fishing. I'm not going not gonna to push it. Let's come back in. So we're loading up the kayaks. And the whole time that we're loading the kayaks into the truck and strapping everything down, I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm like, Brian, what is that little black dot out there? And it doesn't look right. And then we keep, so we keep four or five times, we look over our shoulder and what is that? And then this other guy walks up to us and goes, that's that kayaker that flipped. And he's struggling. So we unload the Cadillac from the truck, put it back in. I pedal super fast. When we get out there, white caps are coming over the kayak. And I get up to the man, and his kayak's upside down. He's holding onto it like this. He's got his life jacket. It's undone. He's sinking. And he goes, I, as I come up to him, he goes, My son, my son, where is my, I can't find my son. And so I, I pull him to shore, and I turn around. And it's just white caps all across the water for miles. And I go out and I do the zigzagging. But very quickly I realize I'm not going to find anything. And so my friend Brian and I just had to sit there as like the authorities started the search for this man's son. And they eventually did find him and he was okay. He had just blown a few miles in the bay. And so I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, and I recognize the grace that I experienced 
In those eight years of saving for a kayak, I also had eight years of learning, eight years of gleaning, eight years of experiencing how to navigate the water safely. By the grace of God, I I was able to have friends and teachers to show me these things, to recognize when to come in off the water. That grace was paratithamid to me to then use. How, and here's the other thing. We got, we launched out there and down at the coast, there's all, it, you know, saltwater eats everything. And so there's an old ear metal structure that had fallen over. And I took my kayak, the fancy Cadillac sleek machine, and launched it. And I thought, look at how fast I'm going. And then all of a sudden, and I went over a piece of metal that just like shaved a big old piece of it from the bottom. Oh my God. How unfortunate would it have been? How cruel would it have been if I saw that man out there and looked at my kayak and looked at the big scratch and thought to myself, you know what, I don't want to risk scratching my kayak. That'd be a travesty. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, um, he experienced a, a few big storms in his life. The most notable one was... As a pastor, as an ordained elder in the church, he's on his way to the United States as a missionary. And this, and he's on the boat, and this big storm kicks up. And, like, the boat, they're going to crash. Like, the boat's going to capsize. They're all going to die. And he's panicking, and he's freaking out, and he's beginning to take inventory, and he has a faith crisis. He begins to realize, I don't think I have faith in God like I thought I had faith in God. John Wesley was sitting on that boat going, I don't know if I even have faith. And he looked over and there's a group of Moravians that were just super calm. Sitting in a circle, singing hymns and worshiping. And he realized they have faith and I don't. Oh my goodness. And his faith crisis lasts for about two years. Um, and in those two years, he wrote to a friend named uh, Peter Bowler. And he said, Peter, I, I don't even know if I have faith. I don't even know if I have faith in what I'm preaching. And Peter gave him wonderful wisdom. He said, John, preach faith until you have it. And then preach because you have it. And over that two-year span, he struggled and he struggled, but he kept preaching. And then it wasn't until he was at this place called Aldersgate. He was preaching faith. And he describes it as his heart grew strangely warm. For the first time, John Wesley then began to preach faith because he had it. Oh, I... I'm firmly convinced that what God does in me, he wants to do through me. I'm firmly convinced that what God did in John Wesley's life, he sought to do through John Wesley's life to others. That's why we're here today. What God does in me, he wants to do through me. I'm going to share a conviction with you. Um, There's a missionary to Egypt. His name is Dick Brogdon. And I watched a World Missions Summit as Kendra and I were preparing to go be missionaries in Costa Rica. 
and he was preaching on inviting people into faith communities. He was talking about um, the love of Jesus Christ and sharing it with people. And he said something that echoes in the chasm of my soul. It shakes me to this day. He said, Dick Brogdon said, Legions upon legions march through the gates of hell because of the thundering silence of the church. Our churches shine initiative, inviting people into deeper relationship with God through Jesus. Looking at 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it's the verse that we get disciples who make disciples from. To be disciples that make disciples, we must first be disciples. And I'm going to say something, but... A, I'm going to quote a guy named Charles Spurgeon, but before I do, I, I want to preface it with a, with a couple things. One, the greatest inhibitor to truth is the idea that you already have it. And secondly, the greatest inhibitor to learning is the attitude that you already know it all. Charles Spurgeon said, if you did not desire to know God more than you love Him not. For love always cries nearer, nearer. There's a profound grace that I've experienced in my life. A profound grace. A scandalous grace. A grace that I look at uh, that I'm... It's bewildering how good it is. Um, this grace that I've experienced was never meant to be hoarded. It was meant to be shared. And in the sharing of the grace that you've received, God is at work. God is at work in your life by entrusting you, by partitheming you with His grace. And He's also at work in your life whenever you choose to share that grace with someone. Because what God does in me, He wants to do through me. Speaking of this profound grace that I've experienced in my life, for thousands and thousands of years, people looked at God through a barrier. But when I look at Jesus, it's through a veil that's been torn to pieces. And when I think about this profound grace, this profound love God has for me, it may, I, I might have told this story before, and I'm going to tell it again. I'll tell it over and over. When I was a kid, I would hear, like, like we'd worship, and we, like we sing, God, our songs are about God. You know, and, and about who he is. And I remember thinking as a kid, does God not know who he is? Because we keep reminding him. Does he need is he is he self conscious? Like do we need to affirm God just how glorious he actually is? Because we keep singing about it. Doesn't he know? And then like when I was a kid, tithing didn't make sense to me. Some, and Jesus says some things can only be understood through obedience. I think for me, that tithing was one of those things. As a kid, I was like, I don't understand why we need to tithe. 
Is God poor? Does God need? Because if he's everlasting and all-powerful, then God does not ever need. And as, you know, and as a kid learning about forgiveness and being wronged and wronging people and, and, and having conversations about me needing to forgive, I never understood why. And I thought, man, is God call us to forgive because he just can't stand it when his children argue? Is God just his ears are burning up there going, oh, Nancy stole Susan's bread recipe. And if she doesn't forgive him, I don't know. Like, like why does God say this, that we should forgive? And as I got older, I, I began to learn that God calls us to worship him, not because he needs to be affirmed, but because God loves you, he knows what's best for you. And he knows what happens when you put Jesus on the throne of your heart. Therefore, he calls us to worship. He calls us to tithe, not because he's poor, not because he's unable to do ministry unless he has your 10%. He calls us to tithe because he knows what happens to my heart when I covet money. And so he commands me, he asks me, he encourages me to become a practitioner of generosity. God calls me to invite people into knowing Jesus. Not because Jesus doesn't have friends. Not because Jesus needs a social club. Not because he's lonely. God has us invite people into his kingdom for our sake. Because grace, there's two, there's two sides to the grace. We're blessed in the inviting and we're blessed in the being inviting. Does that make sense? And, I, and it just makes me wonder. Um, I'm going to ask a convicting question to you. When was the last time you had a life-altering encounter with Jesus? I think some of us, sometimes we get too comfortable. We assume an attitude without even realizing it, that we know it all. We just want to be happy. I just want it to be all be done with and move on. And we begin to get complacent. And we begin to just drift off into the water. And the wind blows, and we think, I'm never going to be able to paddle back. But every single time we begin to to come back, Jesus meets us and brings us to shore every single time. If you are seeking to encounter Jesus, I encourage you, begin to invite. There's an invitation. There's an invitation from God for you to be a part of what he's doing. And then there's an invitation for that's not meant to be hoarded. It's an invitation then that you are to give to others to come be a part of what God's doing. And you may be in a place right now where you're like, Spencer, how can I invite other people to what God's doing when I'm struggling with accepting the invitation myself? I'm still struggling with accepting this profound grace God has for me. 
How am I, what am I supposed to do when I can't even accept the invitation? And I'll give you the same advice that Peter Bowler gave to John Wesley. If you can't preach in faith, then preach faith until you have it. And then preach it because you have it. If you're struggling with accepting this invitation from God to be a part of what He's doing, then invite other people to come along with you until you've fully accepted that invitation. And then when you have accepted that invitation, continue to invite people because you have. There's a blessing of the work that God is doing in your life by the people He's blessing and then through you as a blesser. When I look to Jesus, it's through a veil that's been torn to pieces. That's something worth inviting people to see. Will you pray with me? Lord God, what you're doing in us, we ask that you would do it through us. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you be moving and living and active in our lives. We want to encounter you in life-changing ways. 